0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, we've been walking through this idea of God's calling in our lives. And we've been looking primarily at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And as we've been walking through this little series, we've been talking about this idea that God has an overwhelming calling upon your life, which is himself. That while he may call you to a specific profession, the primary calling in your life is a person, God himself, Jesus. Well, as we're walking through this, we've been talking about different attributes or aspects that Paul gives us in verses two and three that demonstrate this calling. In other words, if I'm going to be walking and embracing, living worthy of this calling, well, there are certain things that are demanded in my life. He says things like I should have humility and gentleness and patience. Well, I want to look at two more of those with you in today's study. But before we do, let me read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, just so it's in our minds and we can wrestle through it together. This is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So again, you and I are to be marked by humility and gentleness and patience. Humility is that idea of seeing ourselves low to the ground, that we actually look at the people around us and see them as more important than ourselves, especially in the light of Jesus, that we see Jesus as the one who is high and lifted up and we are but servants low to the ground. There's that idea of patience, which is enduring great difficulty for long periods of time and gentleness, which is the opposite spirit. In other words, I am harnessing or I'm allowing my life to be harnessed, the strength of my life to be harnessed so I can respond not as the world responds, but truly by the grace and the mercy of our Lord. In other words, I'm responding as Christ in this world. Well, Paul gives us two more of these attributes and he says that I'm to bear with one another in love and diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, let's look at those two aspects. The first one, Paul says, is that we are to bear with one another in love. That word to endure or to bear means to endure or to bear with, but to put up with, be patient with, to endure something unpleasant or difficult or troublesome without giving in or complaining. Now, I can understand the first part. Okay, I'm willing to endure. I'll grit my teeth. I'll struggle. But I really want to complain. <laughs> but I love this idea that in the midst of the bearing up or the midst of the enduring, it actually, I'm not to not only not give up, but I'm not to complain, which is rather difficult, which is why I need Jesus. Well, there's a couple ideas associated with this idea of enduring or bearing up. One is this idea of to like hold something up, it's to hold or to keep firm or to sustain something. In other words, If I'm going to endure with you in love, it means I'm going to wrap my arm around you and help hold you up. That there's a strength that is given when I'm enduring with you. So my strength is actually given and leveraged so that you can use my strength. So imagine this. As the body of Christ, we are to endure and bear with one another in love. That there should be great diligence and strength shared in love to help hold each other up. So it's God's love that is doing this But wouldn't it be amazing if we were holding each other up in love? Listen to what Galatians 6.2 says about this idea of bearing. It says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the word bear there is a a different Greek word, but it means to carry. It's that same idea of to hold up, that, that we are to carry the burdens of each other, that we're not lone rangers in the Christian life. Rather, we endure this life together in love. And the second idea with this idea of endure or to bear is to like put up with something. In other words, I am to endure without complaining for a long period of time, you. (laughs) Which probably sounds difficult, but the reality of relationship is relationships, community is not easy. If you've ever been married or have family members or lived with roommates, you understand that sometimes it's just, it's so easy with the people that we love the most to actually get frustrated and irritated and just, we quit bearing with one another. We actually don't see each other through the lens of love. We just kind of are just frustrated and it's the little things that start to just irk us and just, oh, they start to produce frustration. What would happen if rather than all of that, that you and I actually bore with one another in great love and mercy, that we carried one another, that we were able to put up with the little oddities in each of our lives, that we realize that just as God is sanctifying my life and God is purifying and changing and transforming my life, so too, he's doing that with you. So is it possible for me to extend grace and mercy in your life as God keeps sanctifying your life? See, I, I would love to have a body that gathers together and just says, okay, let's bear with one another in love. Let's endure with each other. Let's realize that yes, there may be correction needed. But I'm actually going to, in love and deference, say, you know what? I'm actually not going to nitpick this. I'm not going to nag. I'm not going to. I'm actually going to show grace and love to you in the midst of your difficulty. That I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you my strength. But you know, the fact that you squeeze the toothpaste the wrong way, uh, the fact that you put the toilet paper in the wrong direction, the fact that you load the dishwasher incorrectly, I'm actually going to endure that. I'm actually going to put up with that and just overlook it because that's actually not what this is all about. See, in essence, it's showing the love of Christ. Please hear me. It's not overlooking sin. Again, if there's sin in our lives, we do need to bring it up and we do need to walk with people through their sins so that God could sanctify them. But see, there's so many little things that we get so irritated and finicky about that actually is not showing mercy and grace and love. Paul says that if I'm going to walk in the calling with which I've been called, then it means, as he says here, That I'm going to show and bear love one for another, that I'm going to demonstrate Christ's love for you in and through my own life. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians 1 4 says. Paul says, Therefore, we ourselves speak, I'll start over, sorry. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God, of your perseverance and faith in the midst of all of your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. That's the word endure. See, Hey, you are bearing these difficulties and and problems. And yet what are we doing as a body? We're surrounding and we're walking with you. We're enduring with you. We're putting up with what you're going through. So ponder this in the love of Jesus. Don't get irritated by one another. Don't allow bitterness and envy and wrath and hatred and contentions and jealousies and outbursts of anger and selfish ambitions and dissensions and rivalries rivalries be among us. Which is, by the way, the list of the fruits of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. See, those things should not be in the body of Christ because we should be enduring with one another in love. That I look at you and I'm treating you in the deference and the love and the mercy and the kindness of the Lord as such... Those things of the flesh should not be evident in our body, amongst us. Well, not only that, but Paul says that we should be diligent to keep the unity. Now, that word endeavor or diligent means to hasten, to exert oneself, to be eager, to be zealous, to strive after, or to have a keen interest and desire. He says that you are to be diligent, that you should be absolutely zealous and excited to keep the unity. That word keep means to attend carefully or to guard or to watch over, to take care of and preserve. In other words, unity doesn't come naturally. We must fight for unity in the body. That word unity, it actually only shows up two times uh, in in all the Bible, and both of them are in Ephesians, this particular word for unity. One is here in our passage, the unity of the spirit. The other one is down in verse 13 of chapter 4, which says that, the preachers and evangelists and pastors and all that is is encouraging and equipping the saints until the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's this, get this, there's a unity of the Spirit and a unity of the faith. What would it look like if we had that in the body of Christ? Because I've embraced my calling, which is Jesus, that there is this unity and love between us, a unity of the Spirit and a unity in faith. Uh, This idea shows up in the Old Testament, in a beautiful picture in Psalm 133. Here's what the psalm says. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edges of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down from the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. The psalmist says, do you realize how good unity is? It is like the anointing of Aaron. It's like dew upon Mount Hermon. This this priestly line. Uh, the well, sorry, I'm I'm mixing my metaphors. The mount the mountain Mount Hermon as the snow melts and it runs down into Jerusalem, and we receive the benefit of that, uh, through the Jordan River and all that all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's like the blessing. It's like oil being poured out upon Aaron. That is what unity is like. This priestly line of anointing. That's what unity is in the midst of believers. So think about this, Paul says that you should be diligent, be zealous and excited to keep and to guard the unity, he says, in the bond of peace. That word bond means to bind together and peace, again, is this idea of to remove the enemy faction. It's this idea of tranquility. It's this idea of shalom in the Hebrew. Let me give you a few passages just to kind of even flush this out some more. In Ephesians 2.14, we looked at this some time ago in our study of Ephesians of chapter two, but in Ephesians 2, 14, Paul says that Jesus himself is our peace. So you and I are to keep this bond, be zealous to keep and to guard this unity in the bond of peace, which is not just peace in the sense of a feeling. It's not just peace in the sense of an emotion, but it's peace in the sense of the person who is Christ. That the unity that you and I get to experience in the body of Christ is because of well, Jesus himself, he is that perfect bond of peace. Listen to the prayer that Jesus prays in John chapter 17. He comes out of the upper room and right before the Gethsemane scene, Jesus is praying to the father. I love the intensity of this. He says, uh, this is, oh, let me give you one of verse. John 13, this is in the upper room scene. Jesus says, a new commandment, speaking to his disciples, I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Get this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So the distinguishing mark, according to Jesus, of a disciple is love. But then listen to what he says in this prayer with the Father in John 17. And I'll just give you a couple of verses. He says to the Father, I am no longer in the world, and yet yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then he says a few verses verses later, I do not ask on behalf of of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? In this overwhelming prayer to the Father, he says, Father, oh, would you would you let them have such a unity and a love for one another that my believers would be one in the same manner that you and I are one? Now, ponder this. Can you think of a unity that is greater than that of the Trinity? I mean, the unity that the Father has with the Son is unparalleled. And yet the prayer that Jesus prays to the Father is, Father. Can my people be one, even as you and I are one? And they are in us and we are in them. That there's just, I mean, that is so mind boggling to me. That the unity and the oneness that is taking place is unprecedented. Could you imagine what the world would, would have to do if there was no more bickering and dissensions and divisions amongst the body of Christ? And I I know there's so many disagreements over nuances of theology. I I do get that. But if there was such a love and a unity amongst us, it would dumbfound the world. In fact, so much so that Jesus says, "So that the world would believe that you sent me." How is the world going to know that the Father sent Christ? Well, it's through the unity of the believers, which really begs the question: How on earth will we ever have that kind of unity? And here's what Paul says in. Philippians chapter 2, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same law, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory. But with the humility of mind, regard oneself, sorry, regard one another as more important than yourself, not merely looking out for your own personal interest but also for the interests of others, have this thinking, have this attitude, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says that there should be a unity and a oneness amongst the body of believers, that there should be no selfishness or arrogance in our life. Rather, there should be a unity of mind, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then it begins in verse six through eight, talking about that mind of Christ. See, the only way you and I are ever going to have the unity of the body is when we have intimacy with Christ. When we have his heart and his mind and his attitude, you realize it actually allows us to walk in unity and love. Now, please hear this. We're not talking about uniformity. We're not saying that everyone has to like the same kind of pizza. Everyone has to have the same kind of a hairstyle. That's actually not unity. What we're talking about is probably better understood as like a symphony, if you want a picture. Have you ever gone to the symphony, it's this incredible music where all these different instruments come together and they're all playing different notes. And yet it's one song. See, that's the body of believers. We're all different instruments. Each of us, all the different churches, all these different instruments playing this, yeah, slightly different music, but yet it's all one song. Do you realize that the world can know that Jesus came, that the father sent Jesus? when we have love and unity amongst ourselves as as the believers, as the body of Christ. So come back into our passage in Ephesians. We're talking about the calling of God on your life. And Paul says there's an overwhelming calling, which is Christ. And when you are walking worthy of that calling, that picture of that scale, well, the only way to do that is to embrace the calling himself. And when I embrace Jesus as my calling, he is going to start demonstrating himself out of my life. He's going to start transforming my heart and my mind and my speech to look more and more like him. That I will walk in humility. That he is going to give me the grace and the ability to humble myself before him. That that I can actually have patience and endure great difficulty and hardship over long periods of time. That there is a great gentleness of my soul, which is not a, not a weakness. It's actually great strength. It's in one sense, my life being harnessed by the Spirit of God, that I'm responding in an entirely different fashion than the world around me, that my life is marked by love, that I'm bearing and endeavoring to keep love between us, that I'm serving and washing your feet, and I'm I'm coming alongside and holding you up, and I'm, I'm enduring the difficulties with you. And there's a great unity in the body of Christ through the bond of peace, which is Christ himself. That there is great love and unity, again, not uniformity, but unity, just like a symphony comes together and there's one song with many instruments. So too, you and I are called to worship the Lord with one song, even though you might be a trumpet, I might be a kazoo, and someone else might be a flute. The reality is, is we don't all have to have the same instrument. We all have to have the same song. So in Philippians 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit or arrogance. Rather, stoop and serve those around you. This is not about you or I. This is about him. As we just look at this idea of calling afresh, can I encourage you to embrace your calling, which is not a profession. It's a person whose name is Jesus. The only way that we are ever going to live out the life of Christ in this world is when I embrace my calling. You have a high and holy calling in your life. Would you embrace him? Well, join me in prayer. Uh, Lord, we do love you. We thank you that you are not something merely we add to our life. You are our life. That we're not just coming to you for an aspect. We're not coming to you to seek a calling. We are coming to you as our calling. And so, Lord, as such, may you do such a deep work in our life that we'd walk in humility and patience, and gentleness, and love, and unity in the bond of peace. Lord, the only option we have to walk in the reality, to walk in the fullness of the Christian life, is we need you. Lord, somehow could you ingrain upon our hearts and our minds that the calling that you have called us to, that we are to walk worthy of, is you. Lord, what a phenomenal reality that we have to demonstrate to this world what the Christian life looks like. And so, Lord, I just pray for the grace and the mercy, the enablement through your spirit to live out our calling well. And Lord, I do just thank you that our lives can be marked by your life, that we can be Christ-like, that we can walk in godliness, not through self-effort or accomplishment or talent or ability, but through your strength and through your life living in and through us. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise for you are worthy in your precious powerful name we pray amen Daily Thunder is a listener supported production of Ellersley discipleship training At Ellersley we are laboring to rouse the church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave hearted Christians for such a time as this Daily Thunder episodes are released every day Monday through Friday from our campus in Windsor Colorado And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.